going to we're going to go to scripture to start. Our scripture reading tonight is Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. Um, if you want to pull it out on your phone or if you have your Bible in print, bring your Bible to Chi Alpha. I just think it's great to have the print. I love my Bible. Um, I'm, I'm being a little bit hypocritical because I have my iPad, uh, but I have my print Bible somewhere. Um, yeah, we're going to read Psalm 1 and 2 together for our scripture tonight. It says this, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Psalm 2. Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up, and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break off their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son, or he will be angry, and your way will lead to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. We're going to take a deep breath. We're going to wrestle with these psalms tonight. But let's start with prayer. Jesus, thank you that you're in the room. And thank you for all you've been doing in our lives, in this community, and throughout all history. Jesus, we ask that we would see you a little clearer through these psalms, that we would know who you are and what you're like and the way of life you call us to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, I don't know about you, but I love a lot of things. Um, one of those things that I love is trains. <laughs> things. People I love. I love my wife. Things. <laughs> You'll see why I didn't include Catherine here in a moment. Uh, things I love. Trains. I love trains. But you know what I don't love is being attached to other people who are really into trains. Like, there's, there's people who like trains, and then there's, like, the train lovers. They're called rail buffs, train enthusiasts, or as some of you might have heard in a couple different TV shows, pharaoh equinologists. No? Anyone? Yeah. Pharaoh equinologist is like steam engine 
in person. Yeah, right. Okay, that that's what like it's 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 actually a term, and and I. I like trains. I like history of trains, but I really do not want to be attached to the groups of people who really are into trains. Because there's something about it, like, I'm not like them, and I don't want to be associated to them. I don't know what the, all they do, but it's kind of weird. I like my trains, but I don't want to associate with others who have that same interest. Now, maybe you're not like me and like trains, but maybe there's some other interests of yours that you really like, but you're resistant to be attached to other people who are really into those things. Can you think of anything, anything coming to mind of like, oh yeah, I really love food, but I don't want to be called a foodie. I really like cool bikes, but I am not a hipster. Okay, those are like my general, like that's my things. I don't know, what are the things for you? Anyone, anyone have anything coming to mind? You love sports, but you are not, okay, Packer fan, I, I like the Packers, I am not a Packer fan. I'm sorry, I'm sorry if I offended anyone with that. <laughs> the bear, yeah, okay, right, you don't want to be associated with the whole group. Nina, what were you going to say? Yeah, right, right. You like and you enjoy Star Wars, but you're not like one of those Star Wars nerds who does like er knows everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, right, right. We get we get the idea. We there are things we love, but we don't want to be attached to everything about that thing. Right? I think sometimes we treat like Christianity in the same way. We we like Jesus, but we don't always like to associate with everything that Christianity is about, like. History of the church is messy. So it's like, okay, I, I, I follow Jesus, but I don't know if I call myself a Christian because of all of the mess. Or I, I follow Jesus, but I don't want to be attached, touched to, uh, attached to a denomination because denominations are messy, right? Or even, even just beyond that, like, I like Jesus, but I don't know if I'm all in with him because what, what will he ask me to do? And we kind of like do this thing where we're like, we like something, but we also like to like do it our way and not be attached to everything that's there. And I think there's a lot of reasons we do that. Sometimes it's something like, what will people think of me? Sometimes it's like, I don't want to be associated with the horrible things because I don't think Jesus is horrible. And sometimes it's something more like, I don't really want Jesus to have say over my life. And I think this is a really, really important thing to wrestle with where our heart really is on this area. And I think at the bottom of it is about trust. Is do we trust God? And do we trust his ways? Do we trust his people? Do we trust his movement? Do we trust him? Can I trust him and his way? And I think this is an important question that demands us wrestling with and I think Psalm 1 and 2 don't give us much wiggle room on this issue. I don't know if we were reading that how you felt in there, but some of it's really beautiful. Like Psalm 1 is a lot of beautiful language and a picture of the tree. But then you get Psalm 2, and it's a little uncomfortable and jarring. And you're like, I don't know if I like the picture that's being presented here. These are sharp lines about the way of life with God. And so I think we need to come to terms with our, what our Bible is saying 
and find the way to understand it and know who God is. So really quick, we're, just so you know, I'm really excited about this semester. We're going to take the semester to go through the book of Psalms. Um, there's 150 Psalms, so we're not going to get through all of them. Um, but we're, we're going to do our best to kind of get like the main kind of genres of Psalms, a bunch of different topics. There's a lot of different, like there's lament Psalms, there's prophetic Psalms, which is one of them tonight. Um, there's, there's praise Psalms, which are very familiar to us. There's songs, there's poems, there's, there's this bunch of stuff about different topics, history and all this stuff. Um, and so we're going to try to do our best to kind of like look at different areas of the Psalms because they are really beautiful for us. The Psalms, is, this is a collection of these songs and poems that Israel has collected over the years that they found is good language for them to know how to articulate words to God. Most of the Bible is like God speaking to us, but the Psalms is unique. It's like people's prayers to God. Now, it's scripture for us, but with the recognition that these are people's prayers, it help, it's important for us as we navigate how do we interpret and find theology in the Psalms. Right, and we're going to be taking some time this semester to kind of deep dive into some of that. But tonight is about Psalm 1 and 2, which Psalm 1 and 2 are introductory psalms. They are the first two of the whole book, and they're anonymous, and they stand like they were com- clearly compiled together by an editor, and first, the first two psalms stand distinct from the, the rest of the beginning, right? Okay, so it's, it's clear that these are introductory, and it's clear that they're here to tell us about the whole Psalter, the whole book of the Psalms. So uh, we need to know why they're both introductory. We could take a whole lot of time looking at Psalm 1, and we could take a whole lot of time looking at Psalm 2, but them together tells us something something important about not just the whole book, but something we need to hear about who God is and the way of life he has for us. All right, so we're going to break it down a little bit. Psalm these two psalms present a few different ideas. They present this idea, a couple pictures. There's a picture of a tree. There's also a picture of a king. We also get some repeated phrases. Um, things like, uh, you can go to the next slide. Uh, we can go to the next one. So we have some key terms. So we have key, key images. We got a healthy tree, and we got a godly king. But then we got key terms. We got blessing, but it's also contrasted with destruction, or really blessing of the blessed one versus the way that leads to destruction. Those two ideas are found in both Psalms. We've got to understand what's going on there. We're going to dive into that first in a minute. We also have these terms righteous in contrast with wicked. We're going to take a moment to look at those. We also have words like Torah, which we don't, act, we don't have time tonight to look at that one, but go do some uh, deep dive and ask me afterwards about the word Torah and why it's important in Psalm 1. It's really cool. Um, And then Messiah. So Torah about Psalm 1 and Messiah about Psalm 2. Psalm 2 is really a picture about Jesus. And for some of you, that might be uncomfortable as we look at it in a second. But before I I get ahead of myself, I want us to get to the main idea for us tonight. As we go through these things, my hope is that we will wrestle with can we trust God and his way? Or maybe put another way, God has a way of life for us. And it's living rooted in him. How will we respond to that? That's what I want to get us to tonight. God has a way of life. It's living rooted in him. How will we respond? Psalm 1. We have a tree. 
right? And, and if you could pull, actually go to Psalm 1, the text, um, if you want to go back a couple slides. I'm um, kind of just leave the text here for us. Go back a couple slides to Psalm 1. There we go. Uh, one more. Yeah, there we are. Awesome. Okay, so in, in this psalm, and if you have your Bible pulled up, keep it up. We're going we're gonna, to like look at this because there's something really beautiful here. If I had three hours with you, I would dive into these psalms because it's beautiful. But Psalm 1, we have some uh, interesting verbs, right? We talk about this blessed one, and then it talks about who does not do three different things. Does not walk in step with wicked, does not stand in the way of sinners, and does not sit in the company of, wicked, of, of mockers. And do you notice the, like, the movement of those verbs? From walking to standing to sitting. There's a progression of kind of being like, yeah, I'll go along with the crowd to like, yeah, I'm, I'm part of the crowd to like, no, I'm one of them now. Like that's this progression. And it's talking about this blessed one who is intentionally not joining in with the lullaby effect. Do you know what I mean by the lullaby effect? Like there's something about life that as you're going through life, if you're not like deliberately choosing different things, you might f- find yourself just kind of like, drifting to do just what people around you are doing. It's kind of what happens. We kind of are lulled to do what others around us are doing. There's a lullaby effect that happens. But Psalm 1 talks about this person is blessed for being someone who is intentional to not do these things, to not let the lullaby effect, but to choose to delight in the law of God and meditate on His law. And that person is like this tree, this tree that is rooted, planted by streams of water. And the picture here, I don't know about you, the picture is beautiful to me. I think trees are awesome. Anyone else just think trees are just beautiful? Yeah. Like today at the snow on the trees, it was glorious. I, I am Groot. That's, that's good. <laughs> like this is a beautiful picture of trees which yields fruit in season, right? Seasons. We're in winter right now. It's not fruitful, but it's seasons, right? And whose leaves does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. You get this picture of a resilient tree that's healthy, that's rooted in something that's feeding them. And what comes out of their life is good and is shared. It's a blessing to those around them, right? That's the picture is beautiful, and this, this is what this, like, God has this way of life for us that looks like this tree. And it's, it's the way of God is intentionally rooting ourselves in him, not being lulled to sleep by those around us. But notice also, this psalm does not give us the rules. If you do all the good things, then you'll be blessed. No, it says, root yourself in him, delight in him. And you'll become like this. Just stay planted right in him, and you'll look like this beautiful tree that'll be resilient, that'll be stable, that'll be healthy, that'll be fruitful. And maybe that doesn't sound like an exciting life. It's, the idea is not like you're boring and you sit there and do nothing. But the idea is like your soul is rooted. That when you go on your adventures of life, you are rooted in who you are. That's what this picture is. And God's way of life looks like this as we root ourselves on his law, on his word, on who he is and what he says, and delights and meditates there. 
And we get this contrast here with the wicked. Now, just really quick, this word wicked, we don't really say it much unless you're talking about the play. Uh, wicked is, it, this term is, basic, it's used a lot in the Psalms, so I think it's important for us to, to define it right now. It's basically the one who rejects the reality and revelation of the sovereign rule of God, sovereign will of God, the reality and revelation of who he is and what he wants to do. So the wicked person says, once I see that, I don't want it. I'm rejecting that. I don't want and will oppose what God wants to do. That's what, what wicked is being determined as. And the things that wicked, uh, the wickedness looks like is like the action steps are like um, afflicting the lowly, they're like accusing the innocent. They're um, upending and, and distorting the trust of the faithful. Like that's, it's all relationship and it's all about distorting and tearing apart relationships. That's not who God is. God is a God who cares about relationship and he restores relationship. He is a good uh, a, a friend and wickedness destroys and distorts. That is not who God is. And he calls it out here. There is a way that looks like that. And that way leads to looking like chaff, which is like the dust around the, the, the grain um, that happens in, in, in harvest time. And the wind blows it away as if it's just dust, nothing. It's saying if you want to just do what you want, kind of let the lullaby effect, you'll end up looking like that. And God is, has a warning in this too. There's a beautiful picture of what happens when we root ourselves in him, but there's a scary picture of like, but there is a way that leads to destruction, as that last line says. And that can be a little uncomfortable with us. But simply put, there is a way that leads to destruction, but there's also a way that leads to blessing in life. And God clearly warns that life is not a buffet line, that you can take what you want and not that. I want this, but not that. God says life is not like that. He's concerned about your life. He's concerned about the path you're on. And he has something beautiful for you. That's what Psalm 1 has to say. But Psalm 1 on its own might just lull us to sleep, to think if I just go and do my Christian things, I'll get my blessing. And we might be lulled into our Christian community to just kind of go along the motions, just do what we always do. And in fact, we end up actually looking like the first three verses, lulled along, not being intentionally rooting ourselves in a person, in God himself. And so often we, like, we want that blessed life, but we're not always sure we trust the one who gives it and especially when you look at Psalm 2. And I want to look at Psalm 2 really really quick. If you want to just go to that next slide, Psalm 2. I don't know if, if we, as we were reading it, if any of this jarred you, but I think jarring is good, especially if we're talking about being lulled to sleep. Someone coming on shaking, he's like, oh, all right, Psalm 2, that's it. This is going to jar us awake. And we get these really, like, strong languages, like, the one enthroned in heaven laughs, he scoffs, he rebukes, he's got anger, he terrifies in his wrath. Like this is, whoa, wait, right? This can be kind of hard 
to understand. But this is about the anointed king who's the son of God. And also, before we kind of get there, I don't know if you noticed, but the first words, why do the nations conspire and the people plot in vain, this, this psalm is about those rulers, those kings, those peoples who are opposing God. That's what this psalm is speaking to. This isn't just speaking to everyone. It's not even speaking to 21st century America. This is Israel right after they have just been in exile and destroyed by other nations. So they're going to have a different understanding of nations around them and evil. But really, this is a cry to God of like, what are you going to do with the evil in the world? Psalm 2 is really about someone saying, what's going to happen with all of this, this mess, God? What are you going to do about that? And when we get to him scoffing and laughing and rebuking, it's, I think the best way to like look at that is like God is not threatened by nations rise, trying to rise up and overthrow him. That doesn't scare him by any means. That doesn't mean this language all of a sudden becomes easy, but I do think it's important to bring that in. And there also, this is God who is responding to people who want to destroy him, get rid of him. So there's also that. We're not, we're not talking about people who just want to live good lives. These are people who violently want to get rid of God. And God is looking at them. He's not threatened. But notice what he does do. He sends a king. A king on a mountain. He's king of the mountain, right? He sends a king. But that king is also called the anointed one. He's also called son of God. So in this psalm, we have the anointed Son of God who's king. That's Jesus. Psalm 2 is prophesying about Jesus who will come someday. For them, this is, this is maybe 400 plus years before Jesus has come. They don't know what he's going to look like, but we do know God has a response to the problem of the world. And his response to evil in the world is to send his son. That is God's response. He sends a king. Anointed one literally means Messiah. That's the word there. Who's the son of God. This is undoubtedly Jesus. But maybe your reaction is like, but I don't, that, I don't like that picture of Jesus. Right? Like, the nations will be your inheritance, but you'll break them with a rod? You'll dash them in pieces like pottery? Like, that sounds harsh. And then there's this warning about serve him with fear, celebrate his troubling, kiss him, or he'll be angry, right? This is like, is this the picture of Jesus that we like? No, heavens no. We tend not to like this picture. But here's what's good about this psalm. I want to I I note this. God is not hiding who he is. He's very clear that he is a God who is all-powerful and has authority and will do something about evil in the world. And he's not covering that up. He's not whitewashing that. He's not making it look like something it's not. God wants to destroy evil in the world. And he will. That is very clear in this psalm. He's not hiding. He wants you to see him for who he really is. That matters. If we want to follow Jesus, we need to see him rightly. We spent a lot of time last semester talking about that concept. But also, we have to see that he's not weak when it comes to justice. 
He is not weak when it comes to rebellion. He is strong. But also we see him willing to give himself to be the solution to the problem of evil in the world. Now, the psalmist doesn't know where this picture is going to go. We do. And we do have to remember, like, the gospel, remember the cross, and we let the cross interpret this picture. Because though this feels jarring to them, they're longing for someone to come and to bring victory. And God says, yeah, it's going to be my son. My son is going to come. And their hopes were set on someday God's going to come through. Someday God's going to restore us. Someday, we don't know what it's going to look like, but he's going to break all of the evil nations apart. He is going to do it. Someday. And I don't know where you're at tonight. Maybe you have a some. I don't know how God's going to do it. But I need him to come through in my life. Like, he wants you to hold on to hope that someday he's going to come through with something. He, he is a God of hope and a God of victory over things that are holding us and breaking us and tearing us apart of our enemies and all this stuff around us, like someday God is going to come through. But as we also then look at the cross and look at Psalm 2, and we start to look at the words here, and then we start to color it in like, okay, Jesus, Jesus is this the solution. Jesus is the fulfillment of this psalm. Right? So he's going to send his son, and oh, his son doesn't come down with his glorious magnitude and all these things. He comes down as a humble servant. You kind of get it, like why people didn't understand this was Jesus. They're looking at this and saying, yeah, he's going to be king on Zion, holy mountain, right? This sounds really grand. And then Jesus shows up, and he's humble. It says he's gentle and lowly. And he comes serving, giving of himself. He comes to be with the oppressed. Like, when, when Jesus actually comes, he's fulfilling all of this, but he's doing it in a way that we never would have expected. He's kind, and ultimately he lays down his life for us. And the reality is, like, the more we look at Psalm 1 and 2, the, the point I want us to get to is that, like, God has a way of life for us, and it's rooting ourselves, living rooted in him, but it's not just like his word, but it's like King Jesus. And what Psalm 2 presents to us is that God is truly king. Jesus is king, and he wants to be our king. He's the rightful king. And it, though there's some jarring language here, he's a king who will do something that's right. And how he uses his power matters. Here we're not sure how he's going to use it. But when he comes in the Gospels, you begin to see how he uses his power. He gives. He doesn't oppress. And the more you see how Jesus is, what kind of king he is, the more these last words become really, really beautiful. Because instead of just saying, serve him with fear, you begin to see him like, Jesus, you served humbly. I can serve you with reverence because you are worthy of my service. You are worthy of my reverence. That's that word fear is about, awe, reverence, right? The, the more you see Jesus and how he lives, the more we can celebrate his rule because he does it right. 
He does it best. He's a perfect judge. He actually can come through, and he does what's good for his creation. He wants to restore creation so we can celebrate his rule. Kiss his son. Really, another way of putting that is adore and yield to him. Adore him and yield to him. And when you see how Jesus actually lived and what he did to give his life to save us, yes, I can yield to him because how he uses power is beautiful. And I can adore him for what he's done for me because he came in love. He came in love and he is worthy of my adoration. And he invites us to take refuge in him. That last line, blessed are those who take refuge in him. Catherine, if you would come up and just kind of play in the background here. We're going to end with this idea. I want to give us an opportunity to kind of like respond to these psalms. He invites us to refuge in him. Really, he invites us to root ourselves in him because he is a refuge. But he's also your rightful king. And he has a way of life for you. He doesn't want you to be lulled to sleep. He wants you to intentionally look at him and get to know him. Now tonight, I don't know what, where you are in reaction to these two psalms. Maybe, maybe you're reading this and you're like, I did, maybe I thought I trusted him, but I don't know if I actually do trust him. So we're looking at these pictures of who he is and you're recognizing the reality of maybe I'm not sure I trust him. Here's what I would long for you to do as a response tonight is to begin a journey to get to know him better, to see if he is trustworthy. I believe who he really is as king is perfectly suited for us because he can actually lead us to that tree, that way of life that's stable and secure because he roots us in his love. That's Ephesians 3. He roots us and establishes us in his love. And he invites us to get to know him, to see if we can trust him. And so wherever you are, if you're like, I'm not sure I trust him. I'm not sure I trust these words, these pictures. I would just encourage you to, to consider a journey of getting to know him and what he's like. And maybe you're in the room and you're like, yeah, I totally agree with everything about that. And my, my encouragement for you is to not let your understanding of Christianity lull you to sleep into just going through the motions of Christianity. And you forget to deliberately, intentionally choose Jesus as your king. Root yourself in him and his word. Get in his word each day. Let him speak to you. Posture your heart before him. Don't be lulled to sleep. And lastly, maybe tonight you're feeling some sort of conviction about something in this. You're like, I... I, I love him, but I haven't really been all that interested in being attached to his name. But maybe you're feeling that conviction of like, I, I want to be more all in with what he has because I see him as trustworthy. Or maybe you see something like, I haven't let him into this area and you want to. But I want to encourage you over the next couple minutes 
is to be honest with him. Run to him as your refuge. And let him speak to those areas of your life. Meditate on him, sir. Let him speak to the way you serve him and celebrate him and adore him. Any of these responses is taking a step toward knowing and trusting and obeying Jesus. And I believe if we do this, we too, not just individually, but as a group, will be like that tree. Stable, secure in who we are. With a good like source of, of identity daily in his love. And that we will be a blessing to others because we're fruitful. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Lord, we want to see you rightly. You are king. You are God. And you have a right to call out what is wrong in the world. Even when we don't even think it's wrong, you have a right to do that as king, as God. Lord, help us to, to yield to that and root ourselves in you and let you establish us. May this be our way of life. And may we say yes to your way. In Jesus' name we pray.